Amen. What is up, church? I'm thrilled to be here with you today, both here and online. Uh, that, that diaper drive that we're doing, uh, that's us partnering with the city and partnering with uh, uh, one of our partner organizations called the Forgotten Initiative. Uh, Jamie and Sarah McIntosh uh, are in this church, and they uh, lead that ministry helping uh, the foster community in our area and helping the various agencies that work with foster families. So huge need. Uh, I want to crush this goal for November and December, so you'll be hearing more about this in the next coming weeks, but head on down to the welcome table to get information and a sheet of paper kind of explaining that. I want to let you guys know, uh, every week, uh, I, I came in a little early to church this morning, right? I walked in and came in the sanctuary, and, and something very cool happens here uh, before you all arrive, and you probably don't know it. Uh, every week, the worship team, uh, before they get up here and they practice, they run through their set, they go out there and they pray. And it was such a cool sight to walk in today and and see them walking in and out of the pews, every row, just praying. Praying for you all. Praying with whatever you're walking through these doors with. Praying for uh, uh, experience with Jesus today. Praying for an experience with the Holy Spirit to transform our minds and our hearts as we come in through these doors today. There's no doubt Jesus is already working. The Holy Spirit's already working before we walk through these doors. But I think there's something profound that happens when we gather to worship. We gather to intentionally focus on God, to focus on each other. I just think it's beautiful. And I, I walked in and I was tempted just to, to walk through and just keep doing the things I got to do this morning, but I just stopped and stood back there and just sat in that moment. So just know that as you walk through the doors, every seat is prayed for. Whatever's going on, whatever you're going through, every seat is prayed for uh, when you walk through the doors. We are on our fifth week of Genesis. Last week we tackled Genesis chapter 3. And it's important for us to remember, you could go all the way back to the first sermon in this series where we talked about interpreting the scriptures. How do we interpret the scriptures? How do we interpret what was not written to us, but it's written for us? We talked about what lenses we wear and all that stuff. And and I I want to encourage you, as we walk through these first chapters of Genesis, as we walk through these stories, I want to encourage you, ask tons of questions. I've heard them. As we're walking through, I wonder what this says about God. What does this say about us? It seems to say this about God. I'm kind of struggling with that. Uh, I'm I'm struggling with what this means. Why was it written this way? Who was this written to? All those things. And, And I want to encourage us, wrestle with the scriptures. Ask questions. Pray about those questions. 
pray about these scriptures. Search for the answers, whether it be online, whether it be between you and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, or whether it be you in community. Vocalize the questions. Talk about them. They create great conversation. I was able to go, uh, I was blessed to be able to go and preach to crew uh, this week and preach on campus. Um, and one of the things that I preached about was this, this command from Jesus to be persistent in your prayers, to ask, to seek, to knock. And that's what I want us to do with the scriptures. So often it becomes like we have a question, we ask it, and then we walk away and don't really wrestle with it. But I believe there's beauty, there's transformation in wrestling with the questions. Because as we do that, it brings us closer to Jesus, even if we don't get the answers that we think we want right away. So I want to encourage you, wrestle through these stories, wrestle through these chapters. Today we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. And this story is massive. There is a lot going on in this story. So let's dive in. We'll work through some things. We'll ask some questions. And then I want you to walk away from this service and just maybe read that story one or two more times this week. And just ask Jesus, like, what is this saying about you? What is this saying about me? What is that saying about us? And what is that saying about the transformation you want to see in my life as a result of hearing this story. Cain and Abel. Let's get into it. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So what did Cain do? Naturally, he got very angry. And his face was downcast. Now, this is such an interesting way to start the story, right? You have Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel. You have the progression of what happened in Genesis 3. For a reminder, what happened in Genesis 3, there's two trees in the garden. Last week we talked about why did God put two trees in the garden? And then what was the result of deception? We talked about Satan be the father of all lies, the ultimate deception, came to kill and destroy. And there's a lie that Eve began to believe. That goes against her being made in the image of God that goes against the instruction of God that goes against living in a reliance and dependence on 
God. There is a moment when Eve goes, ah, I wonder if God's telling the truth. I'm going to take it. Rather than trust God. And so we have just the next iteration of that. So we have Cain and Abel. They are working the land, they're working their jobs, they're doing what they were created to do. And then you have this moment when they bring offerings to God, this way of worshiping God. And one of them brings the best, and one of them doesn't. It says Abel brought the fat portions of some, which the fat portions in this uh, age, it's survival. So the fat portions are the, the most prized possession of the animal. And so as a result of worship, as a result of sacrifice, as a result of giving back to God, what God has given them and blessed them with is a result of relationship and connection. Abel brings the best. No, I'm going to trust. Like, this is a symbol of my worship to God. Then it says, Cain brought some of the fruits as an offering to God. He didn't bring the best. Some communicates that there's not much passion there. There's not much appreciation there. There's not much intentionality there. There's not much gratitude there. There's not much faith there. And it really says that what he was bringing, what he was offering, his heart wasn't really in it. Maybe he was going through the motions or maybe he was putting himself in his own needs first. Abel brings the best. Is an expression of worship. Cain is the expression of worship brings some. What does that communicate? What does that communicate about Abel's relationship with God and Cain's relationship with God? See, worship exposes how we really feel. Uh, we did a series a, a while back uh, called Worship 24-7. And we talked a ton about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six twenty one. His line is, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So whatever you treasure in life, whatever you are putting first is where your heart is going to be. This is a rule. No one is exempt from the rule. So we ask this question, who or what is on the throne of your heart? I think we got a graphic here. Uh, See, the heart is in the middle. We talked about in uh, biblical culture, the heart was believed to be the, the center source of everything in life. And so out of the heart, it dictates whatever is on the throne of your heart dictates what you're feeling. 
It dictates what you are, what emotions you are having. It dictates your will. It dictates your decisions, your thoughts, your character, your intellect. Whatever is on the throne of your heart determines how you live. And the act of worship is just what we are all wired to do, right? Like we're all wired to worship something greater than us. I believe that is God. We were all wired to. So you go, you are going to worship something in your life. Something is going to be on the throne of your heart that's going to dictate the rest of your life question is, what is that thing? Is it you? Is it your identity? If you could just ask yourself right now, what is on the throne of my heart? Look at what you spend your time on. Look at what you spend your money on. Look at how you, what you think about Look at the way that you live your life, the actions that you do on a daily basis in your life. Because that will tell you who's on the throne of your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So we have Cain coming and going, my heart's not fully on God. For whatever reason, my heart's not fully on God. I'm not going to fully trust him. I'm actually going to take. I know this is, uh, like in my relationship with God, this is the ideal worship of giving the best, giving everything. It's a sign of relationship. It's a sign of trust. There's so much going on within this transaction. And ultimately, it's Cain going, no, I'm going to hold back. Now, I'm not going to give the best. Maybe that's because he doesn't trust God to provide. Maybe things are tight and the crop's not yielding quite what he thought it would. I'm just, I'm, God, I hope you understand. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna hold back a little bit. Like I'm, I, I need to save some for me because I don't ultimately trust you. It's the next iteration of the story, isn't it? I'm not going to trust God fully. And therefore, I'm going to take instead of trust. What is God's reaction to this? Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? I think this is a beautiful part of the story. Like it speaks to a God that isn't just like, here are the rules, you follow them. But it's a God that even in these early stories of the Old Testament, he is a God who is engaging in relationship. 
engaging in asking questions and bringing you and I into the discussion, right? Cain and Abel give an offering. Cain doesn't bring his best. There's all sorts of things at play there. He's angry because God isn't quite excited about not his best. Like it communicates that he's not fully giving his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength, his life to God. And so then Cain gets angry about that and God shows up and goes, hey, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Why? He continues, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God asked a question, why are you angry? Look, I, I know it's because I favored this offering over yours, but like, let's talk about your heart here. Let's talk about, you're happier with him. You're favoring him more. He goes, well, yeah, let's talk about your heart and where you are at. Stop looking at him. Where is your heart? Where is your relationship with me? Are you worshiping me with your whole life? Am I on the throne of your heart? Let's talk about that. Cain goes, I don't want to talk about that. God goes, well, if you do right, then it's going to be okay. Like, I love it. God even gives them a chance to turn from how he's living, to turn from what he's doing and, and do the right thing. He encourages it. He says, look, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. He's like, just watch out. Now, to fully explain this, I want to depart a little bit from Genesis and go to James. Because in James, I believe that James taps into this idea that is happening with Cain and Abel. Right? The idea is worship. Cain is holding back. Abel's going full on. I, I give everything to you. And God says, hey, listen. Careful, Cain. Like you're angry. I get it. But sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is really to kill you. James chapter 1, 14 through 16. In James chapter 1, it says this. Begins in 13. When, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But then he says this, but each person is tempted 
when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's interesting because there's no serpent in this story, right? There was in the first, the father of lies to whisper deception, to bring in question and doubt into God and Eve's relationship and Adam's relationship. But we see in the next iteration of this story, there is no serpent. What is causing the struggle? Desire. It's his own desire creeping up. It's not some serpent sitting on a branch whispering to Cain, like, hey, you don't need to bring God your best. You don't need to fully trust God with what you have. You don't need to have full gratitude for what God gives you. Like, you don't need to worship God with everything you've got. No, these are desires coming from within. And James speaks to this. He says, sin? Well, how does sin become full-blown in your life? It starts with this desire. It starts with this desire. And this desire, as you think about it, as you as it goes around in your brain, becomes a temptation. Which is the action part. It becomes a temptation, and then it is given birth, which is the action of the temptation that is taking place. So it's a cycle. It starts with desire. It starts when you are dragged away and enticed. Man, I really wish we could get this as a community, as Christians. Like, the desire is sinful. (laughs) The temptation isn't sinful. It's when you act on it. That's when this cycle comes full circle, and, and James goes, look, like, the wages of sin is death. This cycle happens And it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death when it runs its course. I wish we would get as Christians, as Christ followers, that there are moments in that cycle where we can invite others in. Hey, I'm struggling with this desire. Can we talk about it? Can you pray for me? Can we work it out? I'm struggling with this temptation. It started as a desire, and now it's, it's working its way to be more serious. And now it's a temptation that I'm tempted to act on. Can we talk about it? Can you pray for me? I want to confess this. I want to get it out of my mind because the desire keeps going around and around and around. And if it stays in there, I know the path that it's going to go on. So I need to break the path. 
Confess it. Get it out. Because when we get things out, it loses its power. When we invite our brothers and sisters to pray for us, hey, I'm really struggling with this, can you pray for me? Yeah, and I'll check in next week. Text me whenever this desire comes back up again. Whenever you're tempted to tempt to uh, give in to this temptation and take action on it, call me, text me. Because we can break this cycle. In Jesus, we can break this cycle. And we see this cycle just play out, right? The cycle that James talks about in his book, in his letter, we see this play out in the Cain and Abel story. God gives them a warning, gives them a chance. Hey, this desire is going nowhere good. This desire is crouching at your door. You're getting more and more angry. You're getting more and more jealous. You're getting more and more bitter. Like all these things are rising up and it's crouching at your door. Here is the warning. Here is the opportunity to take a different path. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. While they were there, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Sin. When it gives birth, it turns into death. What do we do with our desires? How do we worship God? How do we worship Jesus? I, I would argue it's often those places that aren't, we aren't fully bringing to Jesus is where some of those desires take place. And you let those desires go, you entertain them, you give energy and thought to them, and eventually the temptation is going to come and then It's why as Christians, like we talk so much about how do, the practices that we do in life, the disciplines that we do. See, because the disciplines and the practices that we do in life set our minds and our hearts on Jesus. Giving, prayer, Giving our time and our talents to build the kingdom of Jesus. Serving, reading, meditating on scripture, meeting together to worship, fasting. All these Christian disciplines, all these practices are a way to organize your life in a way that Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart. We don't just come to worship because it makes us feel good. We come to worship because each and every week it builds us around community, Christ-centered community, and it gives our lives, our hearts, and our minds a constant reset each and every week. A reset to be intentional, a reset to focus on the right things and to focus on God. 
Same with prayer. Same with reading scripture. All these things, when you practice them and do them in life, brings you closer to the spirit rather than closer to what the Bible calls the flesh. It's also a way to break that cycle. Desire, temptation, sin equals death. Jesus comes to offer something else. Another path, another way. It's interesting because we see this story played out in Scripture over and over and over again. One of the interesting things that you could do is just go, I'm going to read the Gospels and I'm going to see where this story plays itself out. One example, rich young ruler, Mark 10, 17 through 22. The guy comes to Jesus and goes, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And they go through the list of commandments and Jesus goes, hey, there's one last thing. Sell everything you have. Like that's the point that's standing in between you and your worship of God. This desire is behind that. And there's all sorts of things that are wrapped up in that desire. What's sitting on the throne of your heart, Jesus goes, this one thing is sitting on the throne of your heart for all the reasons. And you need to get it off the throne of your heart, put Jesus on the throne of your heart, and then you'll be good. It's the invitation. It's the warning, right? And the guy goes, ah, can't do it. You're you're not going to get my full worship, Jesus. And the guy walks away, sad. So where throughout the Gospels do we see this call, this warning, and people responding negatively or people responding positively? Back to the story. Cain goes out, kills his brother, The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain responds in the best way possible. I don't know. Who am I? My brother's keeper? Like, like, can you sense in his answer? He knows what just happened clearly. And he's creating distance. Go back to creating the image of God. We have an opportunity to draw closer to people, to treat people compassionately. When we have that in our mind constantly, this person is creating the image of God. So that dictates how I treat them. Cain is creating distance because of what happened. He's going, I'm not my brother's keeper. He's your boy. Why don't you take care of him? I love that God leads with a question, just like he did with Adam and Eve. It's a question that no, he, it, it locates where they're at. It also gives 
an opportunity to engage in dialogue. You just think about that. God could have easily just said, well, I know what you did. Boom. Here's the consequence. You're out. But even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of death, God leads with the question, where's your brother? Even in the midst of this horrific act, God engages and gives opportunity. That's what we call grace. Am I my brother's keeper? If you read the rest of Scripture, Scripture's answer to that is yes. We are our brother's keeper. It's part of this new kingdom that that Jesus is creating. You and I are our brother's keeper. And then we see God kind of give Cain his punishment. And even in the punishment, there is grace. It follows the same pattern as Adam and Eve. Even in the punishment for like, hey, you've gone off course. I tried to bring you back to me, but you just kept running. You let your desires take over turn into temptations, and then you acted on those temptations. And God goes, there's got to be some punishment. There's got to be something that happens here. But even in the midst of this natural consequence from what you did, I'm going to give grace. I just think it's beautiful. And it's interesting to contrast, contrast this story with the story of Jesus. Cain, out of jealousy, out of rage, out of anger, out of bitterness, all this stuff. He goes, I'm not my brother's keeper, and, and kills his brother and spills the blood on the ground. And you contrast that to Jesus, whose blood was also spilled on the ground. While we were yet sinners, he came. He died for you and I, made us alive in Christ. That is the gift, that is the demonstration of who God is. As the worship team comes up, Uh, I I got a question for you to pray about. And the question is this. We see this story of Cain and Abel. We see Abel's response. We see Cain's response. We see how Abel worshipped God. We see how Cain held back and took. So the question is, us sitting here today, what are the desires that are pulling you away from Jesus? 
Not even what are the temptations. Not even maybe the ways that you've put something else on the throne of your heart and are spending your life, your time, your relationships chasing that thing. Because it doesn't start with those things. It starts with the desire. What desires are going on in your heart, in your mind, that are slowly pulling you away from Jesus? Jesus, we come to you. And we praise you. Jesus, I pray this story about Cain and Abel rattles around in our mind. And I pray that it shapes us. Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would spend time with Holy Spirit to inspect the desires of our heart. The desires aren't bad in of themselves, Jesus. But I pray that as we have these desires, that we would surrender them to you. Give them over. And let you hold them, let you shape them, let you transform them, change them. In your name we pray. Amen.